Happy New Year! I hope the turn of the calendar holds many gifts and blessings for you. One of mine is time with our guest on today's episode, Minnesota State Parks and Trails interpretive naturalist Michaela Rice. As you'll hear, Michaela is very excited about all things nature. The curiosities, wonderment, serenity, and complexity of natural processes caused her to pursue a career in science, and now she gets to share those precious moments with visitors to Gooseberry Falls and Split Rock Lighthouse State Parks on the North Shore of Lake Superior. A highlight of her days is in connecting people to the world around them through well-being practices, art, observing wildlife, and experiences like berry picking in the summer. You'll love the story she tells about that. Michaela especially loves learning from and with children as they encounter nature. She speaks with great honesty about the healing power of change and resilience in nature in her own journey through depression and burnout, and of her boundless gratitude for nature in the face of climate doom. Michaela strives to be an ally in her community by speaking up and speaking out against daily prejudices and by creating a sense of wonder, gratitude, and belonging. I'm Chris Johnson. Thanks so much for kicking off the new year with pause, purpose, possibility. Thank you, Michaela, for being with us. Uh, Everybody listening, this is my dear friend, Michaela Rice who can tell us more about who she is and what she's about in the world. But uh, for now, I can tell you that we've known each other for many years. And uh, in more recent years, uh, Michaela has landed probably the second best gig in the universe. Uh, The first would be um, me being parent and so on, which is, I'm just going to claim that for myself. But Michaela, uh, for a while now, has been the, well, help me out, Michaela. You're the naturalist. Yes. The technical term is yeah. interpretive naturalist. Okay, there you go. People always ask me, are you full-time at the park? Yes, I do work in the wintertime. Uh-huh. <laughs> I work at the park full-time. The I park also, being? Yes, the park being Gooseberry Falls State Park. So we are in the state park system, different, of course, than the national parks. I also work at Split Rock Lighthouse State Park, which is up the shore from Gooseberry Falls, about six and a half miles. So they share the shore, but are also very different from one another. But they also do share some similar history of the North Shore, geology, culture as well. So, and since uh, I'm just going to believe for the moment that we have a global reach with our audience here, uh, we're talking about the shore you're talking about and the, the towns and locations are on what is known as the North Shore of uh, Lake Superior. Uh, and the, it, the, it's the Minnesota State Parks system that you're connected with. Yes. One of the reasons that I invited Michaela to join us is, in fact, her deep and abiding affection for joy in and respect for uh, not just the natural world, so to speak, broadly, uh, but uh, also for uh, our other than human animal companions on the planet. And uh, right at the moment, uh, she is uh, accompanied by two dogs that I'm sure we'll hear more about as the conversation unfolds. So it's all good. Uh, They can be uh, listed as guests as well. 
in this conversation. So again, thanks for being with us. And you're coming yeah. to us, you're you're in this conversation with me today from right along Lake Superior, correct? Yes, Lake Superior is behind me. I've been talking about the lake a lot lately. Um, for folks that don't know, Lake Superior is the third largest freshwater lake in the whole world. There are two other larger lakes by surface area, and they're also what we would consider uh, continental rift lakes. So as the tectonic plates move apart, um, lava leaks out of the ground and creates these very large um, kind of crevices and uh, those places, you know, fill up with water over time. Yeah. So that's the shortest version of Lake Superior I could give you. Um, and yeah, Lake Superior even has its own weather effects. Yeah. It's called the lake effect. So she is really in charge of the weather and the climate locally, how much rain, how much wind we get, whether it's sunny or foggy. Yeah, so it's kind of always the backdrop of uh, <laughs> what we do around yeah. here. <laughs> Thank you for that. There's so much there that I want to explore with you a little bit mm -hmm. more. Before we get to that, though, let's circle back. And um, besides being a dear friend and having this really great gig up there professionally, mm -hmm. who else are you? Uh, yeah. Tell us more about, yeah, tell us more about who is Michaela. So one of my favorite pastimes, like you had mentioned, is being around animals or being with animals, whether I'm just socializing with them out on a farm or at a shelter. Um, but I also spend a lot of time taking care of animals. So I've been volunteering at the Raptor Center at the U of M, the University of Minnesota. They have a essentially a bird hospital. It's also an education center and they take care of injured raptors. So bald eagles, hawks, owls, and then ospreys and vultures. And um, I typically will help feed them, medicate them and hold them for their vet, vet exams um, or like physical therapy or something. So I've been doing that and uh, volunteered at Wolf Ridge last week, catching saw wet owls, which can fit into a paper towel roll. They are oh. so small. Um, <laughs> and other than that, I am really into art, appreciating art in all of its different forms, music, poetry, um, different types of visual art. I like to travel when I can. Um, of course, I'm always trying to stay in touch with family and friends and um, trying to just get into involved in the communities that I've I've lived in that that definitely takes up a lot of my time. Try to be intentional about it. But that's also kind of in flux with with what I'm involved in at a given point in time. How, so this is a, you know, impossible question, but how have you come to be that person who cares about the same things that you just named and so on? What have been some of the key moments, experiences, relationships, um, 
challenges, accomplishments along the way, um, milestones. Sure. How have you been shaped to be who you are now? So it definitely started when I was very young. My parents were really good at getting getting me outside. We started camping. I know when I was in diapers with our family dog. And so I think I always felt really safe and excited about being outside. And my natural curiosity really just kind of took hold at that point. And I would spend a lot of time outside as a child. I think it's really the stimulation, the beauty, always finding new things, always finding things you don't know what they are or want to know what they are. So that was just such a driving factor for me. And then as I got older into high school, I was able to travel into the Boundary Waters for the first time. And I was very much an angsty teen. I suffered from depression, um, probably starting maybe a little bit in middle school and high school. And that's, um, honestly, my mental health has been a huge factor because nature has offered me the greatest understanding of, of my needs and also ways to heal myself and find meaning in some of the experiences that I have. So mm. that was super life-changing for me. And then also traveling, um, traveling in, in small ways too. Going to Gustavus, of course, was huge for me because I could find people who really wanted to talk about what it meant to show up in the world in the way that we ourselves genuinely wanted to show up in the world. And I didn't find friends necessarily that wanted to show up in the world the same way that I did professionally, maybe, but we had a lot in common about the ways we wanted, um, in, you know, integrity or, or just being really purposeful, being intentional, showing up for people, those types of things. So I really just started to develop those ideas. And then when I got to go to Tanzania with my college advisor, uh, Cindy Johnson, that was also so life-changing to be in a place. I mean, literally the Serengeti of, of Africa, mm -hmm. uh, stripped down, talking about ancient times and where kind of our possibly our consciousness kind of started to develop a little bit um and my mind just blew like I just felt like I was so so much more open to issues in the world and maybe my role and maybe even some of my limitations in that um as you get older and mature you're uh Gustavus really didn't put any limitations on me emotionally. Like you can do everything, right? You can do anything you want, but then coming into an adulthood, you also realize I can't actually do anything I want because there's a lot of systems in place that are kind of keeping me mm. um, or keeping, you know, us 
limited. And so I've, I've really been learning about that and how I can still be doing what I want to do and fulfilled and also work in a system that maybe works against me a little bit. Um, as you know, someone who struggles with mental health and also someone who is really passionate about what they do. So we'll talk, I'm sure it'll come up about me avoiding burnout and where, where my career kind of comes into play there. And I also will just insert in parentheses here, you referred to Gustavus. For folks who don't know, she's Michaela is talking about Gustavus Adolphus College, a little um, liberal arts college in south southern Minnesota, where that's where Michaela and I first met and have known each other from her time as a student and when I was working there. So that's the Gustavus you're referring to. The question or the invitation at this point, uh, Michaela, is for you to just keep following the the train of thought that you were alluding to there about. Uh, avoiding avoiding burnout and and finding your way along the journey, sometimes a difficult journey, to who you are and where you are now. So, yes, at this little liberal arts college, <laughs> <laughs> I started playing with the idea of what my role in society, I guess, but also in the career force, what I wanted to do, what I wanted to master essentially and and bring to the table. And to me, my focus at that point was really about making the largest difference. You know, I wanted to use my skills and my passions to meet the needs of the world, right? And within my scope, I specifically was very interested and passionate about wildlife conservation, especially endangered species or um, plants and animals that really need extra protection. And I have a lot of empathy. <laughs> empathy to the point that does debilitate me. And so I've really been learning um, the pros and cons of, of that and how to avoid burnout that way, because my soul does want to give everything it has into solving a problem. Um, and so the way that I was going about that was learning about research and science and being involved in projects that were um, examining wildlife populations. And I loved the excitement of field work and being outside in nature and the basis of science really starts with observation. And I'm really good at that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm really good at sitting and looking and being curious. And um, that's just something I think I've learned and developed since I was really young. And with my ADHD diagnosis um, in my 
mid 20s that started to make a lot of sense as well and so that's really exciting to be out there and and learning new information you know science is about seeking the truth in some way estimating the truth and so I really thought that was important to find information that could possibly benefit these populations. And um, that's kind of how I thought I was going to make the most change. But as I was involved in research, um, I wasn't being filled up in other ways. Uh, I found the career to be too isolating for me. Um, The community was not meeting my needs socially or um, in terms of like emotional intelligence. Like I had mentioned before, we couldn't talk about our our study animals in in ways that I would want to. Mm -hmm. Um, I worked at a preclinical medical laboratory um, where I was a large animal technician and I had to be the caretaker of these animals that were um, being tested for medicine. And I could logically understand the purpose of these studies and the information we were gaining, but for me to have to go into that lab and take care of these pigs and sheep and dogs um, that were, were in, you know, that environment, it was just, it was too much for, for my spirit. And so I started to kind of have to check things off the boxes. Like I just, this is not an environment where I can be every day. And that's what led me to um, really diving back into the field of being a naturalist. So I got some experience being a naturalist, um, volunteering at the Gustavus Adolphus Arboretum and doing some small programs with some little kids, bringing them into the Arboretum and just showing them the gardens and the plants that, that were around and getting them excited about what they were seeing that transformed um, into me doing that in the Boundary Waters as well as a naturalist for a small Lutheran camp. Um, And I was also connecting people to the resources, giving them some information to keep them safe out on trail. But I also wanted to instill a sense of wonder in these folks as well, um, because they were going to be out in some of the most beautiful serene wilderness literally in the whole world um so that's always been a part of my story but I didn't really ever consider doing it as a career nor did I know that there were full-time career opportunities available for things like that so once I learned about the state park program I was already working for the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources as a, a deer biologist that was kind of the first my mom calls it a big girl job. My first <laughs> real long-term job after grad school was um, with Fish and Wildlife mm-hmm. down in Southern Minnesota. Um, and then I learned about the naturalist program. I was volunteering as a bison ambassador at Miniopa State Park, and they have a bison management herd, which studying deer, you know, I knew a lot about other grazing um, hoved animals as well that should be out on the prairies of Minnesota. So that was a big interest to me. And then, yeah, uh, the universe brought me up to the North shore where the landscape is so different. It's much harsher here 
the prairie is harsh too. Don't get me wrong. The sun is hot. (laughs) The fields are long. (laughs) The the plants are so tall. Um, You know, the prairie grass, you literally get lost in it. But here, um, it's rugged. It's much more rugged and dense and um, I struggle to find words sometimes, obviously, to to describe what the environment is like up here, but it seems to be more of uh, reflective of my soul's landscape, which uh-huh. is something that you've taught me about, Chris. So <laughs> that's kind of, yeah, where I am now. Uh, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Again, a question that might put you in a position of having to flounder for words, but you are you are so lyrical and poetic uh, and in touch with your inner landscapes. What is it about nature, about animals that feed you, that 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 you love, that tap into your soul? Yeah, one thing about the North Shore, about Minnesota, that I really have gained an intense appreciation for is the changing of seasons. Every week I walk through the park or drive from Duluth an hour up the shore to my work location, and I just see change every week. Something else is blooming, or some new birds are arriving, or they're departing they come from Canada in the billions through this area and so there's so much for me to learn every day which is so incredibly humbling nature is so humbling Hmm. there's always more to know there's always a deeper level of understanding you can gain um even like simple things like how trees drop their leaves or how animals prepare for winter. But one thing about the changing is that nature, the the thing we do know about nature is it's always changing. But in at the same time, nature is so incredibly resilient. And it it displays that every time that I go out there. I can see those two things in harmony, the change and the resilience. And so that reminds me that I am a part of nature and I can too harness that quality, those qualities, or I can ask nature to give them to me, which I've been learning to do. Including, for instance, that that ability or capacity to dance between change and resilience. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. And then I've also really been learning about the space that nature holds for us. And I can tap into that maybe a little bit more naturally than the average person because I've been doing it for a long time. And I learned about the ways that you can be in solitude in nature and go through a lot of emotional turmoil, but 
nature just it just holds you it's not judgmental um there's constant reminders if you look of how beautiful things are even if they're broken or gone through frost and wind and cracks and getting beat up or uh you know animals even they get scared they get chased but they're they're still just you know out there behaving uh the way that they know how to do and to me that those things are all just amazing and so I've um just learned I guess to appreciate those things and uses I use it to to remind me of the way that I also want to show up for other people I want to hold that Mm -hmm. space for other people I Mm -hmm. want to be a sense of comfort I also want to push people outside of their comfort zones a little bit Um, I also want to be very genuine and very real and very grounded, all things that I think Mother Nature do perfectly. I'll leave it there for now. (laughs) What gives you hope what sustains you in the face of the kinds of destruction that humans are wreaking upon the planet how do you keep going in the face of the climate crisis um gratitude 100% gratitude mm. i when i am overwhelmed by destruction selfishness greed ego all these really nasty dark feelings I have to cope with those by being outside Mm -hmm. and letting nature calm those dark feelings and just being gracious for what I do have and what we can see and feel and experience in the, in the moment. Um, That's really gratitude has really changed my ability to keep being empathetic because there are so many people I feel like just exist in this world and don't have a connection to nature. And that's why it's so easy for them to make the choices that they make about what they buy or what they put in the ground or what they don't do. But I have been very overwhelmed by that sense of doom. And I think that in my early twenties, I was very much overwhelmed with that. Like I literally can tell you about times I was on campus at, at Gustavus, my undergrad, where I was dealing with a lot of these thoughts and feelings where I just collapsed under the weight of like, oh my gosh, the climate, you know, is changing. And I felt like everything I did was like if I threw this bottle in the trash instead of the recycling bin, like I physically had like a bad reaction to that. Mm-hmm. I was, but I was too attached. I was too um, upset about it because it did really affect my sense of well-being. But I think I was able to kind of feel um what happened if I really gave into all that empathy all the time um, and like put all that responsibility on me. 
so since then I've been trying to get more, get a little bit more balanced because I was really depressed and I felt overwhelmed all the time. And that's not a healthy place for my mind to be. So I've had to give up a little bit of that. Um, Cause I just took on the weight of the world. I think as a young, like 20 year old wanting to change all these things and then realizing that I really don't feel like I have a lot of power sometimes. And called for you to tap into some of that resilience that you spoke about before. And yeah. Finding out where it comes from, where I can harness yeah. it. I've yeah. done a lot of counseling. I've done, I was literally an outpatient mental health treatment. Um, I took a little hiatus from grad school because I was so broken down yeah. and I didn't have the emotional tools to, to help me with this burden of, of hopelessness that we feel in the natural resource community. Uh, you earlier on in the conversation talked about some of your experiences as a kid and so on in your life and work now, tell us about uh, encounters you have with, with kids, with children in nature. Mm -hmm. What do you notice about how, Oh, I love that you just had a wonderful smile right there. I wish everybody could see that. Uh, what, what have you noticed about how kids get along with nature or what, how they experience it? What are they afraid of that? Uh, or not afraid in ways that maybe adults mm -hmm. are uh, how, yeah. What do you notice about kids in nature? So, uh, oh, just excitement. Um, kids love free roam time. Uh -huh. Something in school, you know, it's all about structure. So it's it's funny to see them get excited over the smallest things. Um, that I also take for take for granted, right? So they're constantly reminding me, oh, free roam time. That's awesome. We should be thankful for time to just wander out in nature and be rowdy and roll on the grass, grass and get dirty. And, um, they're, they are willing to try things. They kind of stick up their noses at first or want to ask a million questions. And, uh, but they're willing to try it. They're willing to hug trees with their eyes closed and, uh, touch things that I encourage them to touch. Um, they're not afraid to get wet. That's kind of, the scary thing <laughs> but also it's just like wow we as we as adults are like so worried about kind of the goofiest things like getting your jeans wet or something when you could be having like the funnest time in the last month but you're not willing to get close to the shore and feel the rush of the waves because you don't want to get your pants wet and the kids are just like getting their pants wet is the last thing on their mind right right, right. so I think about those things. Um, my favorite thing to do with third graders or elementary school kids is berry picking. They, I call it poo time. We need the poo time. We go out <laughs> and eat berries and it is the most simple luxury in life. And I will tell you, everyone is smiling. Yeah. I am so happy. Berry time, berry picking time is literally my favorite time of the year. 
um, me and my intern on our lunch break would go down to the special part of the park where a bunch of June berries are. It's a tree called a service berry. It's a small shrub and it's just got the loveliest blueberry fruity berries that just hang from the trees and we're literally out there just stuffing our faces our hands are literally purple yeah. people will be like walking by or there's a couple eating lunch in the car and they're just watching us and I'm just like oh they just think we're so goofy we literally have the trees like <laughs> kind of bent over they're really um fragile or are no they're not fragile they're really flexible so you can bend them over yeah if you're you know you're careful and then and so they're like are those berries really that good <laughs> standing there for literally 10 minutes and I'm I just look at them I'm like do you even have to ask like <laughs> excited we are of course they're good like try them like um and they're just like wow so it's it's so fun introducing people to um finding food outside that's another thing we're not connected to anymore where our food uh-huh. comes from and how right. good it is when you get it ripe off the tree um in you know this native habitat so sharing that with kids is really fun and hearing their questions hearing their stories um things that they're curious about that I've never thought of before you know they're very deep they're very intellectual at a very very young age and so I just want to give them the space to think about these things or um safely explore and it's just a joy. Yeah. They're, they're rowdy. They're, they're excited. And I just, I just try to, to kind of let them, let them be that way, um, in a, in a constructive way. And they, and we still learn. And, um, I feel like I'm kind of building a community for them when it comes to nature, um, very, very slowly. Right. Cause they might only come to the park once a year, but uh-huh. um, they do remember it and they do want to come back. That feels inside me as I'm listening to you and just relishing the, the senses that are evoked, even just so I'm hearing that story secondhand. It strikes me as in just incredibly crucial work that you do work slash play mm-hmm. that, that you do to uh, help uh, crack open the possibility in people, especially young people. So it can take root uh, across their lifetime to, to crack open uh, uh, the possibility of appreciation for awareness of awe, wonder, beauty, Mm-hmm. Uh, courage uh, in the face of or in being held in the midst of the world that births us and holds us all along, uh, especially in uh, in contrast to all the kinds of coats of armor or or barriers of whatever kind that we seem so intent on building between ourselves and the world around us and within us for that matter. There's that's a whole nother conversation, right? Is our inner biome. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, We are not just part of a larger world, but there is a larger world within each of us. No, we are so connected. And, and I think it does take 
a little bit of time to be able to feel that, but I know biologically and spiritually that we all have the capabilities to feel connected to nature, but it takes us putting our, taking our walls down, taking our guard down. You cannot be guarded out, out here, yeah. when I say here, out in the wilderness, because I feel like nature knows <laughs> in some ways, like it can sense that we're, that we're guarded. And, um, I, I, I don't, I don't know how to explain that, but, um, it does also welcome us, but I do know that it takes a while for, for people to, to be able to feel that connection. Um, you have to get comfortable, um, emotionally, but then also like, like I get, I feel connected by literally physical touch smells, uh, hearing birds, um, touching plants. Um, and so people have to start getting kind of comfortable doing that, but, um, I do a tree hugging program where the purpose is so that you physically feel the tree moving and breathing. So to try to foster that connection, I have people who are, are done with this little program we do. And they're like, I could feel all the little pieces in that tree moving. Like uh, they were describing it like a body, like all these different muscles. Uh, uh, yes, you felt it. Like they're yeah. like, I could tell that tree was alive. And I'm like, absolutely. Uh -huh. That tree is alive. You are alive. That tree could feel you. You could feel that tree. And it only took a few minutes for that person to experience that. But I don't think that person's ever hugged a tree before and right. got to listen to it or put, put their cheek up against it. So to me, that's how you get connected with nature is you, you have to touch it. You have to be in it. Um, then you feel that energy, you can harness that energy. And it's the same for us being connected to our communities, right? We can't feel at home in a place if we're not out touching other people, um, you know, metaphorically or physically. Um, we can't feel apart or even make it feel connected to that community. Yeah, unless we get familiar with it and, and be exposed. So nature is the same thing. So we're, we'll need to wind down soon here, Michaela, but uh, as we do, or before we do, um, you know that the title of the podcast is Pause, Purpose, Possibility. Tell us about an experience you've had in nature of pause or purpose or possibility. Where do you encounter pause or purpose or possibility in nature, or maybe even more specifically that tree that you invite us, invited us to imagine hugging or being hugged by, what might a tree be able to teach you, me, us about pause or purpose or possibility? Chris, there's so much, um, we need to pause. We need to find solitude and quiet so we can first just like examine our inner beings and kind of 
come to an acceptance with, with, with our spirit in order, I, I think for us to really seek out purpose or be intentional, you have to be grounded to really have the energy to be intentional. And so I think trees or nature facilitate that grounding. So it can literally be as simple as me putting my hand on a tree or hugging it for me now to be able to just kind of start calming my body down slow you know slow my breathing to pause facilitates that pause for me or sitting by the side of the lake and listening to the waves there's less data there's less stimulation around and in that solitude is where I think our purpose can be revealed but we have to quiet it first we have to quiet there's so much data and stimulation and negative stimulation and negative data and and meaningless data that we encounter every day in our normal lives right yes scrolling on Facebook or being on TV or driving around the city. There's just so much out there and that kind of confuses our brains. And so when you start to calm all that stuff down, the meaningful data, that purposeful data can start to come out and you can start to feel what's important for you, feel what's driving you or inspiring you or hurting you um so I think pause comes first and and then that yeah then that purpose can can come out of that and yeah I don't know how to say it any other way than the, the purpose can be revealed to you um once you kind of start finding ways to ground yourself and be connected or be inspired by the way that nature finds purpose how, how does that relate to you? How can you um, find beauty or inspiration in your, in your life? Maybe you're stuck in a job or stuck in a situation, but that doesn't define your purpose, right? We need to find other ways to find purpose. And that's all about the little things. And nature is all about the little things. So the more you get out there and notice those things, you can start finding the ways that you do that for yourself or, or in your own world. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for giving me the space to think about these things. And thank you for being gracious to listen to me <laughs> pat on and really try to find words. I, I don't have this morning, but. Um, oh. Yes, you do. Uh, and uh, I'm just always so grateful for you, including this morning. So thank you. Well, Chris, you're always teaching me and driving my spirit to think differently and feel differently and be appreciated and feel meaning um, in just who I am. And uh, I can't thank you enough for that. So thank you for being who you are and keep doing you. Thank you. You too.
As always, we invite you to continue to reflect on what you've heard on today's episode, first with a practice, and then with some big questions that flow from it. In the days ahead, open yourself to experiencing something in nature as a child does. Perhaps you can invite your own inner child to show up. You remember what it's like to be a kid. Admit it. Or let yourself be guided by a child in your life, one of your own or a niece or a nephew or a neighbor. Let yourself be inspired by what Miss Frizzle used to say in the Magic School Bus books or the PBS series. Take chances, make mistakes, get messy. Or, as Michaela described during our conversation, let yourself, yes, really do, let yourself hug a tree with your eyes closed. What do you notice, even if at first it might be about your own discomfort or potential embarrassment? What is that about? Where does it come from? What might those feelings be trying to teach you? And beneath or beyond all that, what else do you notice? What are your senses opening to you? What do you smell, hear, feel? What does this tree have to teach you about itself, about yourself, about the world we live in, about what really matters? What does nature, what does this tree want to teach you about what it means to show up as your truest and best self, about being at home in the world and in your own skin. I'm Chris Johnson, and this is Pause, Purpose, Possibility. Thanks for being with us.